0: Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word handy, would you be turning to Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. We have four chapters to cover this morning, so we're going to get to it. But I do have several announcements that I need to make just to things to remind you of or make you aware of. Uh, I was told that next Sunday is Mother's Day. I knew that ahead of time, but I was told that. I was told that the men were supposed to cook and clean next Sunday. I was told to say that. Uh, So I've said it, there it is, it's out there And I guess that's between you and your husband or the male in your family and whether or not that happens Um, But we look forward to honoring our mothers next Sunday, hope that you can be with us for that Uh, We're thankful for those days where we are able to do that Uh, This week we're going to have an event here at the building I just wanted to, I mentioned it once before and kind of remind you of It's called Reconnect and it's for preachers and preachers' wives There's a a couple uh, of couples who started this a few years ago They were both in Kentucky at the time, uh, but on Thursday and Friday of this week, the building will have some folks here if you come by, but we're looking forward to hosting about 10 couples, 20 uh, people total, preachers and preachers' wives, ministers, ministers' wives, to encourage one another as we think about the work of ministry, and in particular marriage. We've been able to attend this the last several years that it's been going on. It's been in Nashville and it's been in Kentucky uh, as an opportunity to encourage, you know, preachers and their families, in particular their wives, in in ministry and in marriage and in parenting. This year we're going to focus more on just marriage, but they had asked last year if we would be willing to host, and we mentioned it to the the elders and said, you know, we'll just need the the fellowship hall, maybe a classroom or two on Thursday afternoon and Friday. But we're looking forward to that, to hosting that. We'll have a few folks here and uh, I just wanted to make you aware of that, and we appreciate uh, the elders being willing to let us host that this year. You may have seen us sharing about that on, on Facebook, and we're, we're greatly looking forward to that. I did want to make mention as well we started a great class. On Wednesday night on the idea of the joy of generosity and in particular the theme of stewardship. I wanted to make mention of it for one because if you were here or even if you were not here but you're usually here, uh, we ran short of material but we have made some copies this morning. They're not ready just yet but if you're at our afternoon service I can try to have them ready by then. You can get a copy to take home and be studying the second lesson. We'll study the second lesson on Wednesday night Uh, or you know if you just like a copy we can get you one but we're really excited about this, those who are a part of the first first class, uh, kind of got excited about it, interestingly enough, because it's, it's kind of stepping on our toes already, talking about our money, how we manage our money, all of our stuff, all of our things, that it really belongs to God. That was the first lesson that we covered, and we'd love for you to be a part of that class. Lay's ladies' class has concluded for right now, so the, all the adults are here in the auditorium together, uh, but if you'd like some of that material, then just see me, and we'll be sure to get you a copy of that, because we want everyone to be able to follow along with that. I made mention of that because I also wanted to commend you. If you look over on the board here to the side, we had 96 on, on Wednesday night, and that was, really surprised me when I got home and realized that, but it really excited me as well. I don't know that I can speak totally for the elders, but I can say for myself that it's not so much about having 120 or 150 or even about having 200 people here. It's not that we grow so large that we have to build a new building. It's about the spiritual health, of you and of me, and seeing that number, which, by the way, was, I think, 118 for last Sunday, but that gap between Sunday morning and Wednesday night shrink a little bit. You see, it's been the case even before COVID that we might have 120. I think I said the first year that I was here, our average on Sunday morning was 120, but on Wednesday night, we might only have 60. And I know some folks can't get out, some folks have days where maybe their job makes them work where they're not able to be here, some folks in their health are not able to be back, but to me it's not so much that we grow to 200 or 300, but that we see our health grow, our spiritual health grow enough that everybody wants to be here every time and those numbers are a lot closer for Bible class, for worship, for worship and as well on our Wednesday night. We have tried to offer, of course, great classes that go along with that that are interesting, that are encouraging. But we hope that you'll see the importance of being here, and we're thankful. I was excited to see that number grow a little bit, and it has. COVID certainly did a number on all of us. They did a number on our totals here as a lot of folks stayed home and, and weren't able to be here. But as we've slowly increased, it's been encouraging to see our numbers as well grow on Wednesday night, and we hope that you can be with us. We usually emphasize Sunday, right? Stay for lunch, stay for our afternoon worship. That's true. That's still true. We'd love to see you on Wednesday night as well. We have essentially been working our way through the Old Testament. We've covered the book of Genesis. If you were with us, we talked about the creation and the flood. We've talked about the patriarchs. The word patriarch, of course, being father. Being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three great men who were the fathers, and Abraham being Father Abraham. And even last week we talked about Joseph. Now, I told you from the beginning that I've not really known exactly how I wanted to work this, and, and we might do one a month, and we might kind of hit and miss, but, but several of you have continued to say, I, I like this, I, I love to study these Old Testament things. So I thought we'd go a step further today and continue in our study here, and we come to a book as we've really basically gone through the book of Genesis, a, joke that, that many of you, or a book that many of you know about. I made a joke last week about the Ten Commandments and and watching the Ten Commandments, but so many people are aware of that movie and how Exodus is about a journey to freedom. Now, we ended last week in Exodus chapter 1 by saying that the story of Joseph ends with the statement, and Joseph died. And the trouble then after that starts when there arose a Pharaoh who did not, a new king in verse number eight, who did not know Joseph, did not remember him, did not know the great man that he was. Now, can I encourage you with just one little side note here because it's interesting to me? We've been looking at the mountain peaks, if you will. One of my goals has been that as we finish this, you not only recall some of these stories, but you can maybe piece together Old Testament. History. It's why we used that timeline last week to try to number off the things that occurred in the book of Genesis. But even though we've hit the highlights, here in the book of Exodus it begins with some of those people who are not considered the highlights. In 2018 and 2019, as we first started, I did a series entitled Lost in the Credits about the people who are not as well known in the Bible. And one of the lessons that we looked at was from Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 15 because there are two people sandwiched here between Joseph and Moses and their names are Siphrah and Puah. And and if you are reading, you don't know anything else about them because you'll fly right past it because Joseph's dead and Moses is coming. But as you look at the context around these two women, these two Hebrew midwives, they are great characters for us to take a look at because they are important to the story. They defy Pharaoh. They defy his order to kill the Hebrew baby boys. And so here it is among all these high points that this God's story that God's word is filled with beautiful people who sort of fall into the gaps and Sifra and Pua are two of those women that we never study but have a great impact on what is about to happen just a few verses later. Of course if we're talking about the book of Exodus we're going to focus on our main man by the name of Moses. We could say that the book of Exodus is a journey, as the previous slide said, but in truth, we might say that Moses' life is a journey. He doesn't just span Exodus, but he also spans Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's why I told you that we had to cover four books, excuse me, not four chapters, but four books this morning. Although if you have an outline in front of you, you'll notice that we're going to sort of fill in the gaps this afternoon. If you'll be back with us at one we we're going to focus on Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and just hit a few high points. You know, as we've done our Book of the Month study, we've already talked about those. But I got to thinking, I think it's been about five years since we've looked at those. So we're not going to go as in detail as we usually do in our Book of the Month study. But we're going to try to touch on some of the things that would be connected with the story of Moses. Now, someone said that they were excited about seeing the flannel graphs this morning. I don't have the flannel graphs out, but I do have some popsicle sticks and some characters that I can remind you of, all right? Because we're going to talk about Moses this morning. I don't know that this is to scale. I mean, I'm short, but this is pretty short. But Moses is our main character for the day, right? And when we teach our children, we use little things like this or the flannel graph to try to remind them about these great people. To help them try to focus into their mind about exactly who Moses might have been and what we do know about him. We can say that Moses' life is a journey and we can break it into four parts. Again, if you have an outline, you'll see that already. Let's begin, first of all, with part number one that we might call a basket and a bush. You know, I've got both of those here as well, right? We meet Moses in a basket. And before we get to the bush, let's talk about that in just a moment. You recall in chapter 2, and I ask you to open your Bible, and I hope that you did, especially if you're not making notes where it's easier to follow along, because we're going to go through and notice some of these verses together. In chapter 2, Moses is born, and he survives Pharaoh's edict to be killed. He's placed there in that basket. He's smiling in this particular picture. I don't know that he was probably smiling very often if he was in a basket uh, for however long he might have been. And there he meets the daughter of Pharaoh who takes him in. He lives with his mother. I've got his mother here as well. Does anybody remember her name? It's Jacobed, right? His mother was Jacobed, and that is his mother who put him in the basket, and there he meets Pharaoh's daughter, and she's going to take him in, but she's going to give him back to Jacobed so that he can be raised. That's important because he knows his people, and that's what causes him in Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11, to stand up for his people. You see, that whole bit about his mother putting him in the basket, then getting him back, it's important. Because that's how he knows in verses 11 and 12 that it's one of his, what does it say? Brethren, at the end of verse number 11. It's one of his brethren who is being beaten, tormented by an Egyptian. And of course Moses, in a moment of anger or in a moment of action, he takes that Egyptian's life and he has to flee to Midian. And it's there that he meets that very famous bush, right? That burning bush, I don't know how else you could have drawn it than it's kind of depicted here because what's important about that bush is what? That it is burning, but it is not consumed. I, I imagine it would have still been green. I imagine you could see the fire all around it. It may have even been hot. You didn't want to get too close, but it is not consumed. It's not an ordinary bush. But it's one that, most, that draws Moses' attention, and it's one of the most powerful moments in Scripture. It really is. There, there's so many cases in which we can look at history and the Bible and see something great that happens. But it's here in Exodus chapter three, specifically verses 13 and 14, that God tells Moses to go talk to Pharaoh, and Moses gives that excuse, what? Who? Me? Are you talking to me? What do you want me to do and what do I say? God, what is it that I'm supposed to say? And God says, you tell them that Yahweh sent you. You tell him that the I am has sent you. And just like we sometimes joke about, there's no other way to say it other than it just simply is. He is the I am that I am has sent you. And God gets this, gives this covenant name, as we call it, Yahweh, that the Hebrew people wouldn't even say. They wouldn't even utter it because it's too great to even say. And in this moment, God gives him that name and he gives him that power. And we might say that the second part of part number one, beside the basket and the bush, is the Pharaoh and the plagues. The next nine chapters that come after that are back and forth between God by way of Moses and Aaron, between God and Pharaoh. Now, I don't know if all Egyptians wore the headdress like this guy's got on here, right? But that's what we commonly think of. On Sunday morning in our Bible class, the young adults and the the college-age folks, we've been talking about the plagues. And we've talked about a lot of Egyptian things. And sure enough, there are a lot of pictures that look very similar to this. That the Pharaoh would have worn a headdress or been dressed something like this to signify exactly who he was. He was considered a god. He was considered a god by the people. They feared him. They treated him with respect. And that's exactly who Moses and Aaron are going to speak with. And we all know the phrase, right? Let my people go. Moses is going to say it. He's going to say it to Pharaoh. Here's the deal. These are the people of God. They have grown from just a few. I don't think we've mentioned this, but did you notice in chapter 1 and verse number 5 that we begin with 70? 70, 70 people that come into Egypt by way of Joseph. We talked about that last week, and now it's grown. We're going to get to the number in just a moment. That's a part of a future point, but they have grown. And these are God's people, the children of Jacob, but we usually call them the children of Israel. Let my people go. And it takes not just uh, nine chapters, but it also takes ten plagues. I've got them all listed here, by the way. We won't go or take the time to go through all of them, but each one boils And hail, and darkness and death of the firstborn and the death of the livestock and the lice and the blood to water and the frogs. And all of those things are meant to signify to Pharaoh and the people that the I am that I am is in charge. And he has sent Moses and Aaron to say, let my people go. It takes not just nine chapters, but it takes in the end ten plagues. Not just ten plagues, but the ninth, the nine plagues and then maybe what we can only imagine being the worst of all with the death of the firstborn. The chilling words that finally put an end to this whole ordeal is found in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 30. That there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Can't imagine. We know tragedy. We know tornadoes. We know shootings. We know all kinds of things where maybe lots of people die. But where there is a person in every house who is dead, we don't know that in the same way. And after holding on so tightly, the Holy Spirit records for us that the Egyptians go from knuckle white knuckle holding on to chapter 12 and verse 33 where they essentially are trying to push them out, right? It's no longer holding on to them, but let them go. And what we're going to do this morning is try to use a map. And I know it's going to be a little small for some of you to see, but we're going to try to use a map. This is from what's called Bible-History, Bible-History.com. A great source of a lot of different maps. I've used some of them before. But we're going to try to follow this journey that Moses and the people take. You can see here, if you can make it out, at the very top of the red line, almost in the middle of the screen, there's the name The Land of Goshen. The Land of Goshen. That's important because if you have your Bible open there, you'll see in chapter 9 and verse number 26 that when we see the seventh plague, which is the hail, when the hail came down, that it did not hail where? In the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were. Not only are these plagues happening over a large scale, but in some cases, they're happening over the large scale of Egypt, but not so much where the children of Israel are. Showing the power of God. So we know that they are in the land of Goshen. And that's where they start there. You can see the Nile River. You can see all the tributaries. And you understand how great it is. You even see Memphis. That's not Tennessee, Carter. But Memphis down here towards the middle. Carter likes the Memphis Grizzlies. But that's Memphis, not our, our Memphis. In the middle, that's Egypt. The children of Israel are up here in the right hand. And they're going to begin this travel down towards The wilderness and towards a few places we'll get to in just a moment that black dot just above the black dotted line in the middle is migdol and in chapter 14 and verse number two chapter 14 and verse number two the bible tells us that it is at migdol where the people were camped or in that area so this is a map this is a real map and these are the places that we read about in the bible which brings us to part number two Pharaoh has said, "Yes, leave. Get out of here." Again, not holding on but shoving them out the door. "Please go." But now he's had a change of mind, right? He realizes that he's maybe made a mistake and he readies in chapter 13 and or excuse me, chapter 14 his whole army basically to chase after Israel. And I envision, I I try my best, I don't know if you've ever been in a scary situation, I mean truly a situation where you may be feared for your life or something, something like a tornado or something that you really worried about your location in that moment. But I envision the terror in the camp as they have ahead of them in that map the Red Sea. They're moving towards the Red Sea and they just simply look over their shoulder and they see a whole army chasing them down. We call it a rock, and a hard place, right? I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what it is that I'm going to do. And what do they do? But they do what they do best. They start complaining, right? They begin to complain. Moses, why did you bring us out here? Moses, we wanted to stay. And what's interesting to note is that the people become known throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They become known for their complaining. And their complaining Before they cross the Red Sea, and we're going to see that they keep complaining after they cross the Red Sea, right? Before the deliverance, after the deliverance, it doesn't matter. They are simply murmuring and complaining. They murmur. But the same Yahweh that Moses met in that bush strongly proclaims in chapter 14 and verse 18 that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It could have been the lice. It could have been the frogs. It could have been the death of the firstborn. They're not getting the message, but God says, yes, they will know that I am the Lord. And the amazing thing about part two here is that we see a deliverance by water. It's something that you and I can participate in today as well. That's what's so wonderful about it. We don't have to travel to the Red Sea and walk through the water. We can't travel to the Red Sea, and travel through on dry, on dry land, but it's deliverance by water. We see it all throughout Scripture. It's happened at least once already, right, to Noah and his family in the book of Genesis. But we see this type of salvation, this thing that is coming. And I know we can make all the arguments in the world for baptism. All right, look, I've done them. We've studied them. We can make all the discussion in the world. Jerry and I were just talking a few moments ago about class this morning, talking about passages like Romans chapter six, Jesus's words about baptism. But isn't it wonderful to know that even in the Old Testament, they're not saved the same way we are because Jesus hasn't died, but there is deliverance by water. God is setting this precedence for the people. The people pass through the water to receive a salvation of sorts and the children of Israel all passed through and i don't think we can understand on dry land you know sometimes it takes a day or two after a really hard rain for my my, my grass to, to dry up Right? It rains really hard on Monday and Tuesday morning we wake up and Campbell says, I want to go outside and play. I said, son, we can't. It's not dry yet. I know it rained yesterday. I know it's not raining right now and the sun is out, but it's still wet in our yard. And it wasn't that way in the Red Sea. Dry land. But as the Egyptians pursue them into the waters, lest they think it is their power, and by the way, lest we think it is ever our power, in chapter 14 and verse number 27, there is a solid reminder. So the Lord, so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And here's one more map before we get to part number three. They crossed the Red Sea. If you can kind of see, there's a black line, dotted line, or dashed line in the middle. Right there, they cross the Red Sea, and they make their all their way down to the bottom of this map, which is where Mount Sinai is. They head south, which puts them in that little peninsula kind of looking area there at the bottom of the map. And that is what we would call part number three. We might say them at the Mount, Mount Sinai. Chapter 19 and verse number 20 says that the Lord comes down and Moses goes up, right? And it is in Exodus chapter 20 that we get those ten commandments that have still been a discussion in our country even in the last few years, right? Mount Sinai, chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. But there are three things that we want to notice together under this point that happen here. There's up to five things that we could emphasize, but for the sake of time, let's notice just three. Number one, there is the giving of the law. It is at this time that God gives the law. If you've been a part of Bible class or church services or whatever for any amount of time in your life, you've certainly heard the preacher and maybe yourself you've said the law. What's the law? Some people don't understand what is the law. We call it the law of Moses, right? You could say that the law is found in Exodus chapter 20 verse uh, chapter 20 through chapter 24. That's where you see the law, quote unquote here being given. It does include the Ten Commandments, but it also includes so much more. In fact, many rabbis over the course of time had gone back and counted, and the number was over 600. 600 distinct laws that they were to keep, that were given. What was the purpose of the law? Well, it was to be their guide. So they would know how to act, what to do, how to live. It teaches them right and wrong. This is the law. This is God's law. We call it the law of Moses because so many people know that image of a man walking down a mountain with two tablets on either, in either arm. And we know that it's Moses. Again, God comes down and Moses goes up. And they have this communal time here where they're interacting and God is giving Moses the law. So at Mount Sinai, right, we've got them in Egypt We've got them crossing the Red Sea, deliverance by water. But out Mount Sinai, one of the things we see is the law. A second thing that we see is the tabernacle. All the way at the end of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40 in verse number 17, we read this statement. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Now, this is no small feat, by the way. Go back and read the instructions through the rest of Exodus. If you start in verse chapter 24 and work your way up to chapter 40, it's no small feat. Just ask these young people up here because a couple of years ago, we studied the book of Exodus for our Bible Bowl for the to leaders program, and it was a beast to remember. I did my best to draw it out for them. One day we sat in adult classroom number one and we tried to draw out exactly what the compound would have looked like around the tabernacle. We had to remember how many knobs there were and what the curtains were made out of and how tall they were. There was a whole lot that went along with it. So it's no small feat that they erect this Tabernacle. The tabernacle is like a temple, but it's basically a large portable tent where they could worship God as they are going, right? It's erected here at Mount Sinai, but they can take it down and they can move it with them and then set up the tabernacle so that they can properly worship God. The third thing that we would notice for our lesson this morning is there is a numbering at Mount Sinai. There is a numbering. Now, We have to go to Numbers chapter 1 to see this numbering, to read about this. But per God's instructions, the Israelites number their soldiers. Now, it's really Numbers chapters 1, 2, and 3. I'll save you the time this morning. I won't make you do the math. But the number comes out to 603,550. 603550. That's the total number of soldiers. OK? That's key. The, the total number of soldiers is 603,550. This is important because when we extrapolate that number out, and we start counting maybe their wives and their children who are too young to be soldiers, this was not some small number. This is, you know, that, that red line. This is not just some family sort of going around on vacation, right? We are talking about best guesstimates by scholars, two to three million people. Red line, two to three million people in this traveling party. Now, you heard me say it before, but we have trouble traveling with six people, not six million, six A couple of years ago, we told some of y'all this story. We went with Hannah's family, her brother and his family and her parents. We got up to 12, okay? Not 12 billion, 12. And we didn't make it very far, right? Down the road before. There's issues and there's trouble and somebody has to use the bathroom. Somebody's thirsty. And we can't even go that far with 12. Three million people in that traveling party around Mount Sinai and going to go the rest of the way. This helps us to understand point number four, which was, of course, 40 years. 40 years. This is hard because it's a rather large number, right? I mean, it's a rather large number to think about. It's a rather large point. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Again, the story of Moses really spans the rest of what we call the Pentateuch. Right, the first five books of the Old Testament, we've covered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those four, this is really the story of Moses and the children of Israel. We need to turn to Numbers 13 because at some point they decide to leave the wilderness of Sinai and they head towards the promised land. I, I told Charles there weren't many songs to sing. I appreciate him picking out at least Hilltops of Glory there that talks about Moses and the people. We sing another song, and it's your title if you have the bulletin in front of you to Canaan's land. I'm on my way. We're not going to the same piece of property, right? We're not going to the same piece of dirt, but we are traveling in a sense as they are, and at some point, they head towards Canaan's land, toward the promised land. But this fateful event that takes place in Numbers chapter 13 changes the course of everything. I can't say that enough. I can't be big enough with it. You know, everything We sing about it with our young people at Vacation Bible School. We sing about it with them in class. But 12 young men went spying to to Canaan, and 10 saw bad, and 2 saw good. You've sung it, and you may have heard it, and it may seem like not a big deal, except the problem is the people side with the 10 that saw bad. They're afraid. They're scared. And what do they do when they get in trouble? They do what they do best. They begin complaining. They begin murmuring. Moses, why did you bring us out of slavery? In chapter 14, beginning in verse number 2. Moses, why are you doing this to us? Would anybody here, by the way, choose slavery over just about anything else in this world, right? That would be the bottom of the list of things that we would choose to do. But they say we would rather have been in slavery than be here with you in this moment. And Moses goes to bat for them. In chapter 14 and verse number 19, he says, please don't do it, God. Please don't disinherit them. But the damage is done. In chapter 14 and verse number 34, God says, According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection, and in the wilderness they shall die. Can I suggest to you this morning that one thing that I think we miss? Because you probably, many of you heard this story before. And you know, if nothing else, that the children of Israel wandered for 40 years. But did you know why? Or did you know that it's actually written out in Scripture? If you're like me, sometimes we go through life and we think, well, my preacher always said it was 40 years. It must have been 40 years, and that must have been what God just decided on, right? He just felt like 40 years was enough. That's not it. It says here exactly why God punished them the way that he did. 40 years. You know, I turned 40 years old last year. I know, I'm old. That's a long time. I get it. 40 years, though, wandering in the wilderness because of one poor decision, because of one problem, because of the complaining and the murmuring, that's a long time to wander. And so here's a final look at our entire map. They leave Mount Sinai there at the bottom, and they begin to go up. And if you can make it out on the map, by the way, that's a few loops. There are a few loops in there, right? We're not going to take the time to go step by step, but they get to wandering around all of this, the wilderness of Paran and all of this area. They spend 40 years there. And you would think that being punished with four decades in the wilderness would be enough to make somebody change. However, the books that follow... Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy continue to detail their rebellion and their issues with God. But even though he punished them, what's he doing all throughout those loops in that red line? He's still providing. He provides them with manna, right? It's so amazing, and yet it's so frustrating to think about what they went through. But as we conclude this lesson, we might sum up the story of Moses and the people by saying that there was here one final plague. We might say that there was one final plague, that the generation that died in the wilderness suffered from a plague that was different than Egypt. There's no frogs, there's no lice, there's no darkness, there's simply a lack of faith. The sad story of this group of people, this generation, is that there was a lack of faith, a plague, if you will, of the lack of faith. Even forward in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 19, the Hebrew writer says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. How sad that his own people, God's own people, the ones who witnessed each plague, and many of them suffered through some of those same plagues, the ones who crossed on the dry ground would not, Trust and obey. One of the saddest parts of this journey is that because they failed to listen to God's commands on one particular occasion, even, even Moses and Aaron are not allowed to enter and will not enter the promised land. Despite all of this, Moses leads the people to the east side of the Jordan. I'll go back for just a moment here. But you can't quite see it there at the top. The red arrow disappears in the top of the screen. But they make it all the way to the top to the Jordan River. And that's where they're going to conquer some of the people on that side. And they're going to then begin to encamp before we'll move on to our next lesson coming up very soon. But despite all of this, this sadness, this plague, this lack of faith, Moses leads the people to the east side of the Jordan. And it is here that we'll leave the story for this morning. It is here that Moses dies and a new leader is appointed. These people suffered from a lack of faith and obedience. The thing is, for us, that doesn't have to be said about me and you this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never been obedient to God's simple commands, why not? Why not be obedient even this morning to the commands that are here on the screen? Just like we've said with the 40 years, I would encourage you, don't take my word for it. Don't believe it just because we put it up here each week, but study those passages. Ask questions. We'd sit down with you as soon as possible because you too should not be disobedient. You too should not be unfaithful. If you're here this morning and you've never been obedient to God and his simple plan of salvation, we sing to encourage you that you would do just that. In this way, you become a child of God. You have your sins washed away in baptism by the blood of Christ so that the Lord can add you to his church. Many of you have done that, though, and like the children of Israel, even though you've witnessed great things, you've struggled and you wander away, you fall away, you fall into disobedience and disbelief. Don't be plagued by a lack of faith. If you're here this morning, you're a child of God, but you've struggled with sin, you can come forward to the front in just a moment and make it known in a public way to one of our elders that he would pray with you and for you, that we would all pray with you and for you. We just are thankful for an opportunity. The children of Israel got several opportunities, didn't they? We're blessed with one this morning, and if you need to make a change, would you do so now as we stand together and as we sing?